chapter 11 is all about faith. And by way of introduction, let me remind you what we've been through so far, especially in chapter 10, is our author of Hebrews, which I'm more and more convinced it's, it was Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing the letter anonymously to the Jews. Because if any Jew heard that it was Paul writing that letter, no Jew in their right mind would listen to him. Okay, He was a heretic as far as they were concerned. So I think he wrote this letter anonymously to the Hebrews to encourage them. But our author has told us in the last chapter basically what the components are of living out a new, brand new lifestyle. Now you all have heard me say again and again, over and over, I'll repeat it again today. Your faith in Jesus as your personal Savior, that little tiny mustard seed of faith that you exercised at some point in your life radically changed you in much more ways than you experienced at the moment. It radically changed you from the inside out. The old person that you've always thought of yourself as being, that old person that you were born into this world as, the person that you have naturally come to understand and know as you grew up, the very same person you've been trying to dress up, clean up, and make it behave, that person instantly was crucified with Christ. Now get a visual of that. You were crucified with Jesus. Who was? You were. And you were buried with Him. And a brand new person, a new person created in righteousness and true holiness, a new person that never has sinned and is not sinning now and never will sin, was raised up in Christ. That's the new person you are right now. That's who you really are. If you're like me, you find that hard to believe. In fact, it's impossible for you to believe. As we're going to see here a little, a little while later as we go into chapter 11 on faith. That's too, too much for you to believe. That's too good for you to believe, right? So all you can really do is want to believe that's true about you. That's all you can do. The reason I say it's impossible for you to believe 
is because without God intervening on your behalf through His Spirit living inside of you, even though you're this brand new person, you don't know it. You're like a little newborn baby. Even though they're alive and squirming, yelling because they want something to eat. They don't know who they are. They haven't got a clue. They don't know who their daddy is. Mm -mm. They don't know where they came from. They haven't got a clue what their home address is, much less their social security number. They don't know. Why don't they know? Because they're little tiny babies. They haven't grown yet. See, what our author is talking about here in Hebrews is maturity, growing up as Christians. Years ago, one of the only times that I ever did a fast. You know how to do fast? You know what I'm talking about? And I did it about a week. And the primary reason I did it was because Sandy was gone. <laughs> Her dad just died and we went up to Virginia where Grandma was living and I left her there and Angela there and I came back back to work. And during that time, I had this vision. I guess you'd call it a vision, I don't know. But I saw vividly in my mind this huge auditorium. I mean, it was like, you know, a sports auditorium, gymnasium type of thing. Huge auditorium. And I walked in, and I was shocked. Uh-oh, there went my nail. Laying all over the floor. Everywhere you look. There's little tiny babies. All of them screaming about something. All of them wailing. A lot of them had dirty diapers. You can imagine the smell. When I looked up, standing in the middle of all those little babies, was Jesus. His arms outstretched, and he said, looking directly at me, he asked me this question Who will feed my baby? You've never forgotten that. You know what little Christian babies need? What little newborn babes in Christ need? They need the milk of the Word. Or they won't grow. They won't grow up. They'll fail to thrive. 
Oh, they'll still be children of God. And were they to die physically, they'd go to heaven. But they wouldn't mature and live out the reality of the new life they've been given. A new lifestyle. Now, what is that milk of the Word? It's everything the Scriptures say, everything the Bible declares that God has done for you that you couldn't do for yourself. Everything. And there's a lot, believe me. When I teach Romans 6, 7, and 8, it's very complicated to most people, and they look at that and they say, oh man, this must be the meat of the Word. No, it's not. It's the milk. Because you know what it says? It says what I just told you. You were crucified with Christ, buried with Him, and a brand new person was raised up in Christ Jesus. That's what God did for you. You couldn't do for yourself. He raised you up holy and without blame before Him in love. You are now His child. But it doesn't stop there, folks. Okay. There's a whole bunch of other good news. A whole bunch of other milk of the Word that we need to take in. And that's what our author is calling us to here. He's saying, Jesus, as our high priest, the mediator of a new covenant. You remember the old covenant, right? You all raised up under it and grew up under it. You're very familiar with it. It's As it relates to you, it's simply this. If you do what God tells you to do, He'll bless you. If you don't do what God tells you to do, He'll curse you. We know. The only problem with that old covenant is we've never been able to do what God tells us. He gave us ten commandments in the Old Testament. And we've never been able to keep them. Now, don't bow up and pry it on me and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I can keep the Ten Commandments. You don't even know the Ten Commandments. You can't quote them. How the hell are you going to keep them? But never mind the Old Testament. Get on into the New Testament. There's over 1,000 commandments in the New Testament, most of which are supernatural. You've never been able to keep them the commandments of God. So, if you're under that old covenant, you don't stand a chance. So what did God do? He made a new covenant. A new agreement. A new contract with humanity. Not based on your behavior. Not based on your performance. Not based on your knowledge of good and evil. No, He made a brand new covenant. And that new covenant simply says, I'm going to make you babe. I'm going to put my law in your heart. 
That means I'm going to make you know what's right and wrong and do what's right and not do what's wrong. And you're not going to have need that somebody tell you about me because I'm going to talk to you personally and individually. The very thing we pray for all the kids for every week. God speaking to you personally. Directing your life in every decision you make. And finally, your sins and your iniquities, all the times you have screwed up, God says, I'll remember it no more. You know why? Because that new person He has made you to be never has screwed up. And it never will. Seem too good to be true? Oh, no, no, no. It seems too good to be true, but it is true. So how are we going to believe that? See, that's what our author is coming down to now. He's introduced us to this concept of new covenant, which is a covenant of grace. Now remember, grace is different than mercy. Mercy is when you deserve to be punished and God says, ah, we're going to hold on. Grace is how God works supernaturally, miraculously inside of you to fulfill the new covenant by His Spirit. It's a whole different thing. And so our author has introduced us to a new lifestyle in the new covenant a lifestyle of grace and truth as opposed to a lifestyle of law and lies. And he says to enter into that new covenant, as we discussed last time, you first of all exercise faith, which creates in you a sense of hope, a joyful expectation about your future. You know you're going to be okay which then allows you the freedom to care about other people, to actually love other people. The lifestyle of grace and truth is a lifestyle of faith, hope, and love. Now he's going to get more particular about that. In chapter 11, which we're about to embark here, he is going to tell you all about faith. He's going to tell you about the heroes of faith. He's going to give you a multitude of examples. And he's going to get down to the details of faith. Then in chapter 12, he's going to emphasize the role of hope in your life. And the endurance it produces. Then in chapter 13, he's going to emphasize love. And give us some details about that. So it's really on the same theme. He's just getting more detailed now. And we start first with chapter 11, which is about faith. Now it's interesting in the very first verse, and this is actually the first six verses, about as far as we're going to get on this today, but in the very first verse, he says this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. 
For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he, being dead, yet speaks. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. As I said, we're probably not going to get much further than those verses today in our discussion of them. Because we're going to stop and consider this amazing statement that he's given us in verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Now you might expect when he starts out to explain the details of faith, that he would start with a definition of faith, right? But this is not a definition. No, no. This is a description, not a definition. He said, faith is the substance, it's the reality, it's the tangible, concrete evidence the things you don't see. The unseen world. Faith is a conviction, a confidence, a substance of what you're hoping for that's right now but does not yet exist because it's not seen. Well, what's he talking about here? This is kind of hard for us to grasp. And by the way, have any of you had tried to have faith? You know what I mean? Somebody told you you need to trust God, you need to have faith, you need to believe Him for your bills, you need to believe Him for your family, you need to believe Him for this, that, or the other. And you need to have faith. Have you really ever tried to have faith? You know what that's like? It's like trying to lay an egg. I got faith. I got faith. No, you ain't got faith. Because faith is not up to you. That's kind of strange, isn't it? You see, our author has been telling us we need to believe daily. We need to hear his voice and believe all the time. He's called us to faith, called us to faith, called us to faith. But now he describes that faith. He says it's the substance of things hoped for. It's the very evidence of things not seen. 
What's he trying to tell us here? In order to understand the real meaning of this, we've got to understand where faith comes from. You can't have faith any more than you can lay an egg. Well, where does faith come from? Paul's very clear on this. In Galatians chapter 5, and listing out for us the fruit or what the Spirit of God produces in us. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. But then he comes to faith, meekness, and self-control. You mean faith is produced by the Spirit of God in you? Oh yeah. That's His job. One of the primary reasons God sent His Spirit into the new person you are is to give you faith. What's our job in that? If God has given us faith, how can He be mad at us if we don't believe? How can He continually tell us to believe when it's the Spirit that produces faith in us? Let me help you resolve that. I tell this to people all the time, especially when I'm giving them the milk of the Word. I'm telling them the amazing things God has done to make them a brand new person. And they look at me like an Okeechobee cow looking at a new gate. What's that? I said, I know. I know it's hard. And I know more than that, it's impossible for you to believe that on your own. It's like laying an egg. So here's what you need to do. Because people are always looking for something to do. Here's what you need. You need to want to believe what God says is true. That's your job. That's it. That's as far as you go. See, you can't actually believe it without the power of the Spirit working in you. So your job I want to believe what God says is true. That's it. His job through His Spirit is to convince you that it's true so that you have this faith He's talking about which is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. See, God works in the eternal realm and the spiritual realm. And we are all so caught up in this physical realm. We're so caught up in the everyday activities of our physical life here on earth that it's almost impossible for us to believe in the unseen. That's especially true concerning the milk of the Word. God said He made you a brand new person created in Christ Jesus. 
holy and without blame before Him in love. He said, your sins are forgiven. You're accepted by Him. He said that you were secure in Him. That you're important in His plan. He said that you are able to do what He's called you to do. Those are His promises. Those are the things not seen. Those are the things we hope for. Faith generated by the Spirit makes it real to you. It makes it real to you. Now all the examples you're going to follow here are examples of that kind of faith being real to people. Not just an intellectual assent to truth. No, yeah, I suppose that might be true. Mm -mm. It's real. It's so real you can taste it. It's so real you can touch it. It's so real to you. Though nobody else sees it. That you know it's real. Now who does that? The Spirit of God working in you. What's your job again? Want to believe. That's it. You want to believe what God says is true about you. Or about anything for that matter. You want to believe. And God makes it real to you. That's what verse 1 is describing. It's describing how God has made His Word, His promises, real to you personally. Now, another problem we face with our faith is nobody else sees it. See, nobody else sees what God shows you because it's personal to you. Nobody else. You can't look next door and say, hey, did you see that? No. It's not coming to them. It came to you. Because he's personal. See, in that new covenant, God said, I'm going to put my law in their heart. And I'm going to talk personally and directly to them. This is an individual thing between you and God. As our author goes on to say here in the second verse, he said that, for by it the elders received a good report. What's he talking about? He's talking about all these people he's going to be mentioning, starting with Abel, that have lived by faith. And they all received a good report. What does that mean? Acceptance with God based on their faith. Not on their efforts, because, you know, one, one of the neat things about, and we'll study this more as we go through this chapter, is you can take each one of these people, and you can find, especially when you get down there with Abraham and Jacob and all those guys, you can find how they did terrible things. Terrible things. Abraham lied about his wife twice. Sacrificed her, threw her under the bus to save his own skin. Uh, 
These guys did terrible things, but it's not recorded here in chapter 11. Why? Because of the new covenant. Their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. None of it's recorded. Gets to David. <laughs> David, a man after God's own heart, blew it with Bathsheba, lusted after her, committed adultery, perjury, and murdered her husband. It's not listed here in chapter 11. Why? Because all God sees is faith. That's why. So as we go through this study here in chapter 11, I want you all to realize something. Faith is what God is looking for. He's not looking for your performance. He's not looking for your abilities. He's not looking for your strength. He's not looking for your religious performance. What He's looking for is just simply, do you want to trust Him? That's it. Do you want to take Him at His word? Do you want, is that the desire of your heart, to trust God? If you're willing, His Spirit goes to work and creates this very faith inside of you. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Let's close in prayer. Father God, as we come into your presence, I thank you. I thank you, Father, for the work that you've done in us and through us by your Spirit to give us the ability to believe. And Father, we confess to you our own inability to trust you. And yet we rely on your Spirit living within to make it real to us. And so we tell you, Father, we want to believe what you say is true. We want to trust you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes.